Hello and welcome to Grow Up Summer School, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and this week on the show, we are continuing with our series on research. Every day this week, we'll be dropping one new episode each day to give you even more opportunities to grow on everything from how to leverage metaphor analysis to how to conduct primary research with zero budget to today, how to sell semiotics to clients. Today, we're catching up with Sarah Johnson, Senior Market Researcher and Brand Strategy Consultant at Athena Brand Wisdom. Sarah, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Terrific if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, including your background, and then share your top five tips. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to be here as well. I'm a big fan of the APG and everything they do. Um, how did I get into semiotics is, is, is sort of a long story. I think that's probably how many people would answer that question. Um, but in some ways, um, I kind of accidentally studied for, studied it in university. Um, I, uh, I studied English and anthropology in university, and it turns out that those are two of the main disciplines that led to, uh, semiotics. Um, although, I originally had thought I was going to be a university professor, and then I went into advertising and became an account planner like you, and I did that for 15 years. Um, And then at a certain point, I decided I was ready for a new adventure. Um, And at that time, I was talking to uh, a guy called Charles Leach, who works at another um, market research company, and, and they do something called marketing semiotics. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said, well, it's really um, understanding how to apply uh, cultural symbolism to the study of brands. And I said, you know, I think I could do that. I have a kind of a background in that stuff, and that sounds quite interesting. And um, so I actually did some training to kind of as a refresher at uh, the UK has this uh, organization called the Market Research Society, and they had a uh, a training in, in marketing semiotics. And so, um, I did that. And at the same time, there was actually the first annual conference on marketing semiotics happening in London. And so I met a lot of great people there, which has stood me in good stead for partnerships, um, that I've used over the years. And then, um, I had a new tool to add to my kind of market research arsenal. I'm curious what you love about semiotics. I mean, obviously you've been doing it for a long time. Um, you know, you must, you obviously find it um, engaging and fascinating. What, what do you love about it? Well, um, maybe probably just for our listeners, I should start by giving a, a definition of what semiotics is just so that uh, we're all kind of understanding what we're talking about here. Um, so um, the sort of the definition I would give is that it's the study of cultural symbolism. Um, so how the meaning that is present in everything that surrounds us from uh, words, images, sounds, sense, textures, behavior, all of these have a significance that's imbued in them by our, our cultural values and history and, and all of those things. And we're all just kind of living in this web of, of significance, basically. Um, and um, because I'm an English major and an anthropology uh, major back in the past, I'm, I've always been just really interested in culture. And I've really been interested in under, uh, understanding and decoding how um, poetry works and art works and all of those things. And so 
Um, I do love the ability to uh, spend my days um, decoding culture and um, and thinking about what's going on and how it's you know what what how a website can uh, convey symbolic meaning to people. Um, and um, in terms of what uh, just sort of to build on the definition of uh, semiotics, there's the way that it kind of works in marketing as we talk about. Um, uh, we talk about identifying codes. Um, these are really the building blocks of semiotic symbols and codes. So symbols, I think everybody kind of knows about. Um, symbols are, you know, uh, anything that has a kind of meaning underlying the obvious uh, image or whatever. So let's just say an apple is something that can be a symbol of knowledge. It can be a symbol of um, temptation. Um, and uh, it can be a symbol of uh, the harvest. So it doesn't just mean what it means. Um, but uh, symbols also have, uh, if you have a bunch of symbols together, um, let's say you have an apple or you see owls or you see books, you know that you're going to be uh, in the presence of what's called a code, um, which is kind of a cultural theme or a bigger cultural idea that is supported by symbols. So, um, there are lots of different codes that we all are, we all understand and we all understand the symbols that relate to them. Um, and so knowledge is one. Um, purity is another cultural theme that we all kind of understand when we see whiteness or babies or snow or nature is a cultural theme. And we associate that with symbolism like greenness or brown or plants. Um, so those are really the building blocks of semiotic analysis. Um, and um, these can be used, if you sort of identify these codes, you can use them in a variety of ways to understand um, cultural trends. You can use them to understand what's happening in an advertisement or a package um, or in human behavior. You can understand how consumers are leveraging these symbols in their own lives to uh, convey uh, ideas about themselves or make sense of things to themselves. Um, and um, and I think that's just really fascinating to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, you, you were going to share kind of your five tips on how to sell this into clients. I mean, obviously, I, I'd imagine that would start with um, ensuring that they understand what it is and what what its value is to, to marketing. Oh, for sure. I mean, one of the things that I really needed to figure out as part of uh, having a semiotic practitioner is how to explain semiotics to people, because it really is originally an academic discipline and you can go way down a rabbit hole in terms of using all this terminology. Um, and um, you need to make it, you need to kind of balance showing that it actually is a discipline that has some real thought behind it without making it seem too esoteric, making it seem like it has um, uh, solutions that can be really actionable. So I really had to kind of pare down um, what, you know, what it was like and use and figure out a lot of ways of bringing it to life visually. So that's sort of challenging talking about this, um, talking about this in a, in an audio podcast, because so much of semiotics is visual. Um, but yeah, bringing, having visuals that bring to life what, you know, how the power, how symbolism can be so powerful. Um, but um, but also there's just some sort of arguments that you can make to clients um, about um, why it's a value to them. 
the way that uh, codes are applied in uh, marketing semiotics is that um, we really uh, plot them on a kind of trajectory of residual, dominant, and emergent. So we say uh, some of the codes that are out there are residual codes, which mean um, they are cultural themes that have been around for a long time and the symbolism associated with them. Um, it might be just really classic or, you know, like a pearls and a, uh, pearls and a little black dress or elegance is, you know, associated with elegance, or they might be just kind of dated. Um, and, um, so when you're looking at your, your brand and you want to know what codes it's leveraging, for example, you want to know, is it associated with the right codes? So there's residual codes and then there's dominant codes, which are often codes that are really expressing sort of the main cultural values, like whatever is really dominant in our, in our society today. So, and then finally, there's um, emergent codes, which tend to be the more cutting edge. So um, just to kind of give an example of how uh, residual dominant and emergent might look, let's say we're talking about representations of doctors. Um, so a doctor in a residual if, if it was coded residually, you'd see sort of an old white dude in a white jacket with a, you know, stethoscope around his neck. Um, he'd probably be standing, looking, you know, very authoritative. Maybe he'd have his arms folded. Um, and, you know, he might even be kind of looking down on the uh, patient. There'd be a very clear hierarchical relationship. And sort of a more mainstream or, or dominant uh, coding of, of, of medicine would be um, a, a doctor who uh, might be female or might be a, a person of color or both. And um, there would be more of a partnership implied in terms of the relationship between the doctor and the patient, because that's kind of the model of uh, medical relationship that our culture has moved to. So you might see them standing at the same level and, you know, making eye contact and the body language might be more open because, and that sort of just really reflects what our values are today. And then an emergent uh, model um, might really reflect that um, the doctor is uh, maybe not wearing a white coat at all and maybe is associated with the, uh, new uh, forms of uh, therapy that aren't necessarily just Western medicine. Maybe there's some Asian medicine involved and there's some associations with that. Um, maybe it's a kind of more team model of, of, of healthcare. So, so, I mean, that in some ways that's a kind of very rational example, but it just shows kind of how values really evolve over time. You wanna make sure that you are not using um, examples that are dated and potentially alienating to your contemporary audience. Um, but you also want to make sure that they're not so cutting edge that they could also be alienating. So sometimes you kind of have to find a balance. Yeah, no, I can imagine that would be important. And I, and I imagine, I guess, um, you'd have to think about that depending on what the, the, the brand DNA is as well. Um, you know, if, it, if they've been a brand that has been around for a long time versus maybe a brand uh, that, that's targeting uh, a, a younger generation, there might be some nuance uh, to consider there. Totally, because it's not always wrong to have a residual code. If it's, a, if it's been a brand that's been around for a long time and it stands for something really timeless, you might want to find ways to retain some of that 
but maybe you also want to introduce uh, some emergent codes to kind of help balance it out um, and make sure that um, you know it's still conveying contemporary values. Oftentimes, I'm working with spirits brands, and they are really trying to balance heritage with appealing to a contemporary audience. So it's needing to find ways to have those codes or cues that are more traditional with codes that really say, you know, we we know where we, we know where things are going. Um, another thing I want to mention about semiotics, just so everybody kind of understands what it's all about, is that semiotics is desk research. So um, where I do market research of various kinds, I do focus groups and all of those sorts of things. But semiotics is really uh, using culture as your database and looking at websites, looking at packaging, looking at social media, looking at advertising, looking at street fashion, looking at what's happening in film and television and pop music and seeing where all these codes are emerging. You might look back in time and look at the history of advertising to see how things were uh, communicated in the past, especially if you want to really understand your brand's DNA. Um, so it's, uh, it's something that is done generally by one person sitting at a desk, although sometimes it's done by a team of people, especially if you want to understand how, um, how, this, how things are expressed in different markets and compare the differences. Um, and it doesn't always, or generally doesn't have, involve talking to consumers, although it can sometimes, um, if you want to get basically some, um, some fodder for further analysis. Terrific. Um, is, is there anything else you want to kind of chat through to kind of give us a, a, a good baseline or background on, on semiotics? I think those are the main things I wanted to cover, although I did also have some benefits for agencies, if that, if that would be a help. Um, okay, hang on, let me take a sip of tea. Um, I guess before we get into talking about the benefits to clients, we should really talk about why you as a member of an agency would want to recommend uh, semiotics to your client, why it would benefit you as somebody working in an agency, help you uh, produce better advertising or design or a website um, or a consumer experience. Um, and so the first one is that it really offers deep insight into cultural trends and forces. And agencies are often very good at that themselves. They tend to be you know, trend seekers and trend watchers themselves. Um, but this just really adds another layer because it's looking at kind of the deeper symbolism and some of the history behind cultural trends and forces. Um, because, you know, it's one thing to talk to consumers about what they think, um, but what they think doesn't take place in a vacuum. They're very influenced by the culture around them. And so that sort of leads to the second point, which is that there is an impact that culture is going to make on how people interpret your brand messaging, um, depending on, you know, what part of the country they live in. If you're in Quebec, your culture has a different uh, uh, impact on what you, how you react to things versus if you live in BC. Um, if you are a Chinese Canadian, you're going to have a different interpretation of things potentially than if you are a Caribbean Canadian. Um, so uh, understanding those sorts of uh, implications um, and the sort of symbolism that you carry with you from your own culture, um, or even just broader Canadian culture um, at, at, a, at a particular time and, and place, 
um, really it, it affects how people uh, react to packaging, react to brand messaging, react to advertising. Um, another thing that's really great about semiotics is it can provide guidance for both strategic and creative development. It can help really with the tone of voice in particular. Um, I used to say when I was a founder that the tone of voice was the most ignored box in the creative brief. Um, you know, you just might get something like exciting yet soothing. We sort of like an adjective soup. Um, but if you really are um, trying to um, create a, a, a tone that can really differentiate your brand, um, that can be very helpful. And similarly, it can provide uh, some cues or imagery to help uh, create a create a, uh, a real look and feel and, and for your brand. And, and finally, it provides opportunities to differentiate your brand beyond rational propositions. Um, because we all know that um, brands nowadays are often competing not so much on what you say, but how you say it. Um, and so uh, you can use symbolism really to create a distinct uh, positioning and personality for your brand. Yeah, I'd imagine it would help both with this and in terms of the brand tone that you talked about, get into more of kind of the nuance um, that, you know, some of the symbolism and code can provide. Okay, so on to benefits for clients. So if you have decided, wow, you know, I've seen semiotics and um, it looks really cool. I really would like to suggest to my client that it's a modality that we explore um, as part of this strategic development, creative development project, whatever uh, it is. Um, the first argument that you can make to them is that it manages risk. Um, and I'm sure many of the listeners to this podcast have heard this um, figure, but um, it's said that 95% of mental processing takes place at the subconscious level. So when we are making decisions, uh, only 15% of decisions are made with our conscious mind. This is also sort of level one and level, or sorry, system one and system two thinking. Um, so this, there's a lot of, uh, of processing and decision-making that's a, a very emotional uh, decision and it's used processing things that you can't actually process through uh, the conscious mind and through language. So uh, it's, uh, it's really content like, colors, imagery, tonality, and music. And so um, that helps. Semiotics is really about all of those things. And it really helps um, predict responses to creative, to design that might not be derived from what is said overtly. So for example, what impact will a color have? How might an impact, how might, how might an image be interpreted? What associations wording might evoke? Um, and that can help clients keep out of hot water um, if, in case and not alienate their audiences. And this is particularly uh, relevant when it comes to cultural differences. Uh, we know Canada is a multicultural country. Um, we also sometimes are having to develop creative that is for multiple markets. So an example of um, when, when uh, not understanding semiotics uh, went very wrong was there's a famous story of an airline that advertised a uh, business class to an Asian audience. And the way they did that was they showed a picture of 
uh, a pinstripe suit with a chrysanthemum in the pocket to suggest kind of business with an Asian flavor. Uh, the only problem is in Asian cultures, some Asian cultures, chrysanthemums are associated with death, which is not what you want your airline to be associated with. So knowing about that kind of cultural symbolism can really help you make a mistake. Another one, which is a little bit um, uh, risque, shall I say, um, uh, and pertains to language, is uh, one that is about Quebec. Um, there was a, a, a car that they wanted to introduce from the United States called the Buick Lacrosse, which was intended to, which was a high-end sedan. Um, but in, in Quebec, lacrosse actually has a, a sort of a salacious meaning. It's associated with uh, masturbation. So uh, you can imagine that if you were the driver of this you know, prestigious car, you wouldn't want to have any kind of unfortunate snickers uh, based on when, what your car was when you were driving it. You want it to be, you want to be admired, not ridiculed. So, so those are some good examples of how knowing about cultural symbolism and cultural particularities uh, can really help manage risk. Great. Um, what, what else do you find semiotics is good for um, as, as relating to client, if we're trying to convince a client? So uh, another one is that it's really great for identifying positioning opportunities. So I kind of touched on that before, um, that it can help you uh, differentiate your brand beyond rational propositions. But if you are, when you do uh, an analysis where you look at the codes in terms of residual, dominant, and emergent, what clients really love is that you end up, generally speaking, especially if you're talking about particular brands, you can do kind of a competitive analysis and end up with a code map where you say, okay, here's, here are the uh, residual codes, here are the dominant codes, and here are the emergent codes, and here's where all the brands are in relation to those codes. And here's where your brand is. Oh, and guess what? You know, Your brand has the opportunity to move over here to this place that's really got a lot of um, cultural um, momentum, but nobody's really capitalizing on it yet. Um, so um, that's often very exciting for clients. Yeah, it almost gives them a bit of a game plan as to where they are and where they should go. Absolutely. And then um, related to both of the first two points is that it really helps strengthen communication. So, you know, in the before times, before COVID, Everybody was talking about this book, How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp. Um, Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> uh, yes, of course, I've heard of it. Okay. So um, just in case anybody has not heard of that book, um, Sharp argues that the primary driver for brand growth is getting the brand thought of more often in more buying situations. And he talks about this notion of mental availability. And he believes this is built on the network structure in people's memories, what he calls nodes that hold pieces of information. And he thinks of these as cues like usage, uh, usage occasions, brand attributes, and equities. And brand equities to him are distinctive, consistent icons and imagery that have become strongly associated with the brand. And the stronger and more extensive and fresher these memory nodes are, 
the more likely they are to prompt the consumer to remember or notice the brand in buying situations. And so Sharp argues that advertising's main job is to develop and refresh those nodes. Um, and semiotics helps create memory nodes. It helps create lots of little levers to help create meaningful links in terms of personality, imagery, musical cues, all of those things um, that you know they basically can be used and to reinforce a brand's uh, identity. Um, and this is particularly useful in complex categories like financial services or technology or telecommunications, um, where uh, it's very difficult to explain uh, what the product is or how it's different from other products. So you really need to differentiate by, uh, or, uh, by, uh, by more by imagery or similarly products that are very um, commoditized. And even more, most importantly, um, in the pharma category, where you literally are not allowed to say what a product can do in Canada. Um, so you can use uh, imagery and symbolic cues to suggest things that you can't actually say um, and get it past the, uh, get it past the uh, regulations. And, and I imagine that's just so helpful as well for, you know, con consumers, um, because, you know, things like logos and mascots can have so much meaning, you know, we touched before on the subconscious and system one, that you can't just necessarily articulate with with words. But then when you have all these kind of reference points and cultural codes that you can lean on, I imagine it illuminates a lot more. For sure. And, you know, people, some, some of the most memorable advertising is advertising that was developed in the 1960s and 70s that really used all those kind of mascots and, you know, snap, crackle and pop and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, that, you know, advertisers back then just instinctively knew that semiotics was powerful. And, um, and I think there's really an opportunity, maybe not literally to going back to snap, crackle and pop for every brand, but to really finding those kind of, um, icons and equities that really can help uh, if you if you reinforce them over time really can help um, create memories for consumers and help them think at shelf oh yeah okay I associate this brand with this and um, that's going to help me make a decision when I'm really not thinking about it very consciously. Um, well, I mean, if, if I'm a client, I, I feel pretty convinced you, you've talked about being able to manage risk to kind of help me with my positioning and identifying those opportunities and helping to strengthen and reinforce those memory nodes. Um, that, that seems like a pretty, uh, strong argument you're making there. Is there, is there anything you, that you would add to that? Yeah, I have two more. So, so number four is that semiotic analysis is actually very cost effective. So um, four focus groups uh, can cost 25K, um, even more now. I think prices have really gone up for viewing facilities and things like that. Um, uh, so it can get quite expensive to do focus groups. Uh, it can, and, um, and it can involve travel. Um, a, a semiotic project of similar scope would probably cost about 10K. So that's a significant savings. Um, if you, you know, it can cost more than that if you're doing multiple markets and things like that. But generally speaking, it's much cheaper than doing focus groups. Um, it's not necessarily a substitute for focus groups, but it's just useful to have focus groups as a benchmark for, for the cost. And the fifth, and the fifth uh, point is that it's fast. 
So uh, doing four focus groups from start to end with recruiting and writing the discussion guide and writing the screener and uh, doing the groups and writing up the report can take at least six weeks. A semiotic project can take two weeks. Yeah, that's significantly faster. Yeah. So, yeah, so I have some kind of fancy philosophical arguments and then some very functional arguments for in terms of cost and savings. Practical. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, that feels like a really fulsome uh, discussion. I think, you know, you, you, you talked through kind of giving us a base understanding of what semiotics is um, and also how to uh, sell them into our clients and how they might benefit us as an agency. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many different and interesting um, ways that you can do research. You know, we talked a little bit about focus groups and, you know, there's, there's behavioral science and there's anthropology and there's metaphor elicitation. Um, does, does semiotics um, live quite nicely, I guess, next to these different um, approaches? Do you um, find yourself you know, working hand in hand with some of these other methodologies as well? Or, you know, are, are, do you find that semiotics is best suited to certain types of projects? So, uh, so first of all, yes, it works definitely with other kinds of projects. I just think that there's no silver bullet with research. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways of coming at things and getting answers. Um, and semiotics can uh, is just one more way in. Um, and definitely I've used it in various combinations um, with focus groups, um, with yeah, metaphor elicitation. You know, I've done things, I did a project uh, recently where I, it was for understanding um, the cultural significance of Mexico. And we actually had uh, respondents in Mexico uh, create mood boards about their particular regions of Mexico and what imagery they associated with that. Um, as a sort of a starting point. And then we also looked at uh, kind of popular culture um, because we're wanting to understand kind of what leading edge people in those, in those, um, in, in the Mexican society thought of as being really cutting edge Mexico versus kind of mainstream representations of Mexico. So, um, so yeah, you can do things like that where you kind of do a mixed media kind of a thing. And then um, you had a second question, um, which was, what, uh, what projects are semiotics best suited to? Oh, right. That's we right. We touched a little bit on that earlier, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I also, again, I, semiotics is really just a tool and like focus groups, it can be used at different points in, in, in a creative or strategic development process. So one of the ways that I've sort of talked about um, is, you know, helping with develop a brand positioning. Um, so it can be part of that whole process of, you know, looking at the brand's DNA, or we could be looking at, um, you know, a big cultural idea in society that you want your brand to be associated with. So for example, I've looked at, you know, meanings of obesity in American popular culture for a weight loss product to, you know, understand how to talk about that in a, in a more meaningful way. Um, but you can also use it for, um, if there's packaging development and you want to look at different kinds of packaging designs and see what uh, the cues are, you can use it for advertising development. You know, here we've got some different executions. Uh, we, here's, you know, even like we're trying to adapt the, you know, the usual thing that happens in so many Canadian agencies, we have to adapt this execution from the States. Is it going to be a fit in our market? Um, you can look at the cultural cues coming out of the advertising and see if it would resonate or not. 
Um, you can use it for um, new product development, innovation, um, looking for ideas um, that can then be uh, turned into, you know, uses as, as inspiration for new new products. Um, the list is endless. Um, so, yeah, it's like, like I said, it's like a focus group. A focus group is a tool you can use at different phases and stages, and it's the same with semiotics. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. We really appreciate your time. Um, you know, it's 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 fascinating to be here to hear about these other forms of research and how we can best leverage them for what we do. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, I hope this is of interest to people. Um, and uh, uh, please tell people they can follow up if they have any questions. Great. We'll do. We'll leave your uh, LinkedIn uh, details uh, in the show notes so people can connect with you there. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.